You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. In our series is called Our uh, God's Story, Our Story, and the idea is really simple that as we learn the story of God, which is in every way the gospel, from what God is up to in Genesis 1 to what happened in Genesis 3 to what he was trying to accomplish through Abraham in Genesis 12 to what he was trying to give the people that he was establishing for himself that he delivered from slavery in Exodus to the people he was trying to establish in Deuteronomy through the judges and through the kings and through the prophets that he sent to them to help them understand what it meant to be the people of God to how it all culminated to the one high priest to the one supreme prophet to the one who would be the king of kings and the lord of lords Jesus Christ and create for God a new people who when they would believe in Jesus Christ and let Jesus Christ save them from their sin and from their death and deliver them from this slavery of self-centered living and and just trying to figure life out on our own and coming our own way then deliver us into this way of Jesus that's called the kingdom of God and then God moving through the kingdom of God through these citizens called the church and how the church then would put skin on the gospel who a church would put skin on love and faith and hope and how we live our lives and become a people of compassion and mercy and grace and hospitality, a people who would understand that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. And that changes everything about what we see in this world. See, that's the gospel because it leads to what God is going to do. Now he's going to take all that has been made wrong in this world because of sin and rebellion and death and make it right with the new heavens and new earth. And see, as we orient our lives around this story, And something begins to happen to us. As we learn how to listen to God in our lives and learn how to enjoy Him in our lives. Like enjoy God. Like enjoy God. Like the word enjoy, like what that means in the Greek and Hebrew is like enjoy. Like enjoy God in our lives and listen to Him and learn how to love others fully. And then learn how to live freely. See, our lives will change. And what has to happen is we have to train our hearts. We'll train for our jobs. We'll train up our children. We'll train for all the new things we want to know, and we'll study the manuals, and we'll go to classes, and we'll do all these different things. We train for the, for the marathons that, that some of us run. We train for working out. We train for all of these different things. We, we train for hot dog eating contests. We train for, I don't know who does that, but I would. Um, we train for all of, these, all of these different things, but the one thing we don't seem to train for is our life with God. We think somehow that we just sort of slide into discipleship and that we drift into holiness and that all of a sudden we get saved and we think, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself now. It doesn't work that way. And so we need our hearts trained. And that's what this is about. That's what this entire series is about. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack about 18 spiritual practices together. Some of you know as spiritual disciplines. And so today is the beginning of moving toward that. And I gave you this transformation triangle that's going to come up almost every week for us that, that helps line this out. Because if we orient our lives around this gospel story, who needs to be at the center? None other than the Holy Spirit giving it life and movement lest this just becomes other activities in our lives. And so over the next year, we're going to learn how to do this, do this well, and be a people on God, people on mission with God who enjoy God in our lives. But today we're going to have to, and I told you at the very beginning, this is going to be like a six to eight week introduction. So I'm going to introduce something to you today that may seem a little different for you. It's been around for 2,000 years. It's in Scripture. 
It's just not maybe framed the way that we're going to frame it today. I didn't make it up. Not that smart. But it's been there. See, here's what I found. I found that just people are different. I mean, people are just strange. You guys are weird. People, I mean, we're just all different kind of people. And I was reading this book by John Ortberg years ago. It's called God is Closer Than You Think. And he shared a, a bedtime experience with his two daughters. And he shared it in the book. And I wanted to share it with you. Kind of help us understand just how different we are. One night he was late getting home from work. His two girls had been in bed almost an hour. And so wanting to kiss them goodnight and just see their sweet faces, he goes into one room and finds his younger daughter surrounded by stuffed animals and dolls as usual. She's laying in that sweet, quiet, restful moment between wakefulness and sleep. Her eyes are a little lazy as if she's been hypnotized. And he sits down beside her and he looks deep within her eyes and she looks into his and he says to her, I'm so grateful you are alive. Do you have any idea how much I love you? There's no gift in my whole life like the gift of being your dad, sweet girl. Staring up at him, she says, Daddy, I love you so much. And she puts her little arms around him, kisses him goodnight, and tears begin to well up in his eyes. And he leaves the room and hopes to share the same kind of moment with his oldest daughter. So he gets up and he goes to her room. And he finds his oldest daughter surrounded by animals and dolls, though some of them have been kicked to the floor. She's not in that sweet and quiet moment between wakefulness and sleep. He says she only has two gears, full throttle and unconsciousness. <laughs> so he sits on the side of the bed, and even as he sits there, she begins to squirm a bit. He begins to move into his heartfelt approach just to share his heart, and he says to her, I'm so grateful you are alive, sweet girl. Do you have any idea how much I love you? There is no gift in my whole life like the gift of being your dad. Staring up at him, she gets suddenly still, and then she speaks. Daddy, you've got something hanging out of your nose. Two children. Same parents, same dad, same mom, two children, same house, two children, two completely different sets of wiring, two completely different responses, because each one of us are wired differently. I remember thinking that when Allison was pregnant with Ian, I used to, I had all these dreams, and I still do, I have, I have boatloads of dreams for my little boy, and, and, and I had these dreams, and I, I was looking forward to the day that he would get out of the truck or out of the car with me, and, and, I would, and it would be nighttime, and we'd look up in the sky, and We'd count the stars together. And you know what? By the grace of God, he likes to do that. We'll get him out sometimes late at night. And we'll stand up and we'll look at the stars. Sometimes it's just he and I. Sometimes it's his mother and I and, and him. And, and we'll look at the stars. And I'll, I'll tell him, I'll say, look at all the stars. Who made these, buddy? And he'll say, God made these. And I'll say, you know, God named each star with a name. He gave each one a name. Did you know that? And now he says, yeah. And I said, you know, he gave you a name. And, and he made all these stars and gave them a name. And he knows them all so well. And I want to tell him. And I tell him. How much do you think God knows you? He knows you so much. He loves you so much. And I had these dreams just to share that kind of stuff with my kid. 
And I had this other dream uh, that I wanted to do, that when he got a little older, that he would get up with me on a Saturday morning. And, well, he would get up, and then I would get up later. Allison would get up with him. Um, and I'll get up later. That's just the truth. I, and I'll get up, and then, and then we'll get together, and then we'll go. And this is a dream, and it still is. We'll go, and <clears throat> we'll go to the grocery store and buy some flowers, he and I. And, and then we'll take a, a Saturday morning, and we'll go visit some of those who are shut in in our church, and some of the elderly in our church, and some of the, the widows and the lonely. And we'll just deliver them a flower, and we'll just stay as long as they can, they can take us, and, and then we'll just, we'll just pray with them, and then we'll leave. And I just want to take my son into that life and, and just help him enjoy people and get to know people. And then I discovered as a guy, older he's just like radically insane like introvert and like crowded rooms drive him nuts and 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 so I'm, I'm realizing that okay maybe this isn't gonna you know flow with him maybe he's not you know dragging him out there and he's kicking and screaming with the elderly people in their room everybody's wanting us to leave and nobody likes me anymore we lose all of our elderly people because we're trying to visit them you know because i'm taking him into this place it just becomes this crazy thing that that doesn't work because i got this introverted kid i'm trying to make an extrovert you know and and i realize that may not be how he is because ian's nothing like me he gets his looks from his mama Thank goodness he, he gets, he's, he's just got this personality. That, and I just learned that we're all different. We're wired differently. But yet, it, it's, it's strange to me that even though people are wired differently and in their own unique way, we try to treat each other as though we're the same, especially in the church. Like, we try to make sure that, that, that we have people just like us. And if, if she doesn't like it, then I expect, you know, you, if I don't like it, I expect you not to like it. And we kind of have this thing where we try to treat everybody as though they are the same and we fail to realize that we're all wired differently. And I'm not just talking about personalities. I'm talking about the deep things of how we're built in light of our personalities. I'm not just talking about extrovert, introvert. I'm talking about the deep things of how we relate. For example, we all love. We share that in common. But based on how we're wired, many of us show love differently. Some use words and love letters and affection, and some, you know, would rather watch football and say, I love you too. You know, I mean, it's kind of, we're just, we're different. And then we have some who, you know, we, we all, we all, I don't know, we all hurt. We all hurt. But because we're wired differently, some of us carry our grief differently. And we express our hurt differently. We all relate and long for companionship. But how we're wired sort of dictates at times or defines how we live in the context of companionship. And yet we all want to somehow make people the same. And, and there's a tragedy in that because we have to realize that we're all wired differently. And there's great diversity in who we are as a people. See, successful coaches figure this out in a hurry when it comes to their athletes. They learn the best ways of responding and coach them appropriately. Some athletes require a tongue lashing to move them out of the, 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 the laziness. Yet some athletes require a sort of gentle approach so they don't become discouraged. See, when I was in sales, I had to learn very quickly that people were different. Reading people became a requirement for my profession, lest it would become a vocational hazard. If I were going to be successful, I had to learn how to listen and observe people well so that I could persuade them that their life would be better off in Armageddon than to live without the product I was selling. How else would I sell them what I was wanting to sell them if I was trying to close someone who wasn't willing to be closed in a quick decision-making process? See, effective bosses and therapists, teachers, politicians, all must master the art of reading people and responding to these human differences in order to be successful. 
But yet the tragedy is we try to make everybody like us. Or the diversity in this room becomes an annoyance. And the irony of that is we're people who believe, regardless of whether one, of how one believes it, we're people who believe that God is creator. And that he created all of us intimately and beautifully. And they were all remarkably and wonderfully made. And then we should, you would think logically we would understand that we're all different and we're wired differently. But yet we still all try to treat each other the same. As if we are the same. See, I have friends who are thinkers and feelers. Two completely different kinds of people. I have friends who are fast-paced and slow-paced. I have friends who are handshakers and wannabe hermits. And they all make my life a broader and deeper and beautiful experience. If I had nothing but friends who were fast-paced, thinker, handshakers, I would climb in a hole and die because I am in the depth of me an introvert. And I can't take you guys that long. (laughs) We need the rich diversity in our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. I want to read a very familiar psalm. This is the Jewish songbook that casts a vision of who God is. I don't think preachers ought to teach the psalms as if they're not written as poetry and as if they're not written in the genre that they are, as if they're not a songbook, as if they're not an artistic vision of God. And so my effort is not going to be to teach this, but to simply read it and hopefully read it with the passion in which it was written so that we can see what the psalmist wanted the people of God to see when they sang and chanted this psalm. Because that's what they would do. They would sing and chant it, not teach it. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rests. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day and the darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created me, my inward parts. It was you that knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. 
who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. See, what you have in this psalm is this raw human expression of God's intimate knowledge of man in the midst of a world that is broken and that is suffering, where the psalmist is feeling the pressure of of rebellion and of, of sin and of the enemy on every side, and yet he calls out to this God who knit him together in his mother's womb, who knows him so beautifully and intimately. And so in this psalm, we catch this vision of not only God's intimate knowledge of us, but this vision of God's particular creating of each one of us. We are each wired differently. And yet sometimes we fail to see that this unique wiring means that we all experience God's presence and learn to relate to Him in different ways. And so when the Christian struggles, we assign quiet times, which means Bible reading and prayer. And we think of this one-size-fit-all to Christianity as if you're struggling, do this methodical sort of thing and you'll be better later. And we have this sort of one-size-fits-all approach to the faith. I mean, could you imagine a doctor prescribing the same medication for all ailments? Doc, have a headache and feel achy all over. I'm sorry to hear that. Just take two Tylenol every four to six hours, drink plenty of fluids and get plenty of rest. You'll feel better in a matter of time. Next patient, doc, my hiatal hernia is flaring up and I feel like someone has punched me in the stomach repeatedly and my chest is on fire. I'm sorry to hear that. Just take two Tylenol every four to six hours, drink plenty of fluids and get plenty of rest and you'll feel better in a matter of time. Next patient, doc, I I cut my hand off at work and I'm feeling a little woozy. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. Just take two Tylenol every four to six hours. Drink plenty of fluids to get plenty of rest. You'll feel better in a matter of time. Are you kidding me? We'd be like, Doc. We would leave the doctor, but that's how we treat the Christian life. That's how we treat, that's how we treat each other. The Christian comes and says, I feel disconnected to God and I don't know why. The other Christian says, I'm sorry. Establish a quiet time. Read your Bible more. Pray harder. Make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. Meet with God and His people called the church regularly, give God praise and thanks for some things in your life, slow down, get plenty of rest, and you should feel God's presence in a matter of time. Christian comes and says, I'm consumed with worry and anxiety. Sometimes I get depressed and I don't know what to do. The Christian says, I'm sorry to hear that. Establish a quiet time, read your Bible more, pray harder, make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. Meet with God's people, the church regularly, give God praise and thanks for some things in your life, and you will feel God's presence in a matter of time. Christian comes and says, I can't shake this sin in my life. I just can't shake it. I'm sorry to hear that. Establish quiet time. Read your Bible more. Pray harder. Confess the sin in your life. Meet with God's people at the church regularly. Give God praise and thanks for some things in your life. You'll feel better in a matter of time. Christian comes and says, My spouse treats me like dirt. And I feel completely unloved and unwanted. We say, I'm sorry to hear that. Establish quiet time. Read your Bible more. Pray harder. And so on it goes. One size sort of fits all. And yet, 
that Christian walks away and just cannot sit in front of the Bible for more than 35 minutes. And then feels guilty because they can't do a quiet time. A.W. Tozer once said, the whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. We've almost forgotten that God as a person and as such can be cultivated as a person can. Gary Thomas put it this way, all too often Christians who desire to be fed spiritually are given the same generic, hopefully all-inclusive methods, usually some variation on a standardized quiet time. Why? Because it's simple, it's generic, and it's easy to hold people accountable to that. But for many Christians, it's not enough. See, I used to think this way. Now, should and will the Bible and prayer and confessing sin and life with the church and giving God thanks and praise, should these things be a part of every believer's life? Yes, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But the question isn't, should it be a part? The question is, how do we embrace it as a part of our lives? And so we think that the answer is, buy this book, read this devotional, have this quiet time, and you'll be fine. And then we treat the church that way. We even do it in our worship gatherings. See, because some of you are wired differently even here. Old brother George, man, he's been missing uh, in first service because of his cancer and the surgery. And that brother, though, I miss him because in first service, I can guarantee I'm going to get at least two amens. And it's good to get amens every now and then, especially from him and the way he talks. He, amen. And he hasn't been missing them. Everybody else in first service, when it first started happening, jumped a little bit because nobody talks in the middle of a service but the preacher. And then when God sent his robin. I love that woman. That's right. And that's the thing. And that's the thing. Some of us, when we come, we want to raise our hands to worship because that's just who you are. I'm not that guy, but that's who you are. And then some of us are more like me or some of us are more like others who are just content to be as sincere as the person raising their hand but just would not rather raise their hand and sit with their hands in their lap because they have more of a somber sort of thing about them. And that's all right. Be that person. Some of us want to dance when the music's going on, don't we, ladies? And so you just dance. Feel free to dance. Hey, newsflash. When the Ark of the Covenant was delivered back to God's people, David got naked and danced before the Lord, and he was fine with that. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I just realized that. I didn't even mention that in first service. But the idea of just, just letting yourself be free. And so some of you, you know, some of you would rather listen to a sermon. Now, these are the ones that I love dearly. Some of you would rather listen to a sermon for an hour and 15 minutes and do without the music. Some of you would be just fine if I just sat up here. Well, maybe not me, but somebody sat up here and preached the word because you just, you can really connect with God through that intellectual sort of approach. And you just love to study and love to listen and love to be taught. Then some of you would rather I just get off to here for like after 15 minutes, give you a quick devotional, and get the praise band back up here so you can worship for the next hour and 15 minutes. Because some of you really connect to God through the music. And what I'm trying to say is you're probably that way because God wired you that way. But what we try to do is we say, no, no, no. Christians do this. And they respond to God thusly. We don't use the word thusly. And it's just interesting. Because we all need to come to see that we each connect to God in different ways based upon how we are wired. Now, now there's a danger to this. There's a limit to the individual approach to spirituality. It's neither wise nor even spiritual to pursue God apart from the community of faith. But it is not wise nor spiritual to think that we're all wired to connect to God the same way. 
just isn't. You don't see it in Scripture. So over the next three weeks, to get into the spiritual disciplines, we're going to look at people in Scripture who connected to God in different ways as a primary connection to their life. But what we're going to find common in all of these people is that the Bible, prayer, confessing of sin, community, and giving God praise and thanks was all a part of their life, but it just came to them in a different way. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to introduce to you something called spiritual pathways. These have been around for 2,000 years. They have not been called this for 2,000 years. Now there's, you know, some agreement that there's anywhere between 9 to 12. I've chosen 8 just to give us. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to move through these really quickly. But every one of you when you leave are going to be given a sheet that's going to have these spiritual pathways unpacked for you. Then next week we're going to go through three. And we're going to go through three at a time for three weeks. And then I'm going to give you all a test. I know it sounds weird, that you can take on your own to see really how you're connecting with God in your life. How did God wire you? Garrett did this with the students over there, and it has been great for them because they've been ahead of us, as youth often are. And so we're going to move into this. And so I want to introduce this to you. Some people have what's called the intellectual pathway, where they really enjoy God with the mind. These Christians live in a world of concepts and feel closest to God when they first understand something new about Him. Now, I know many of you may not be able to see this. You're going to be given a sheet with all this on it. The font's just too tiny. I blame John for that. Um, and so, really, it's my fault. And so many of you really could just listen to God and get new facts of God. You're the kind of person who wants to do deep Bible studies and, and really get into the Word and just want to hear lesson after lesson after lesson. You enjoy God with the mind. There are some of the enthusiast pathway. You enjoy God with mystery and celebration. Excitement and mystery and worship is sort of this beautiful thing of excitement and awe for you. You're inspired by the joyful celebration. You're kind of like a cheerleader for God and, and the Christian life. And you, you know, you, you, you're okay and you love the concepts, but you don't want to know just the concepts. You want to experience them and feel them and explode with them. I mean, you just almost are bursting for a worship gathering. Then there's another pathway called the contemplative pathway. These Christians enjoy God with their quiet adoration and simplicity. You would be just fine if all the noise was eliminated from your life and especially a worship gathering. These Christians seek to love God with a pure and deep love, imaginable in an introspective way. You kind of live inside yourself with God. These are the people who never miss a quiet time. Then you have those who are part of this serving pathway, who enjoy God by loving others. These on the serving pathway are the ones who feel closest to God when they're serving other people. These are the ones who often see Christ in the poor and needy, kind of have this knack to see Jesus in that way. Their faith is built up by interacting with other people. Caring for people really, really strengthens these who walk this pathway. Then there are those who walk along the activist pathway. These are those who enjoy God through confrontation. These are kind of the prophets in the church, truly. The ones who, who define worship as standing against evil and injustice. The ones who are quick and, and, and able with gentleness but yet boldness to call sinners to repentance. These are the ones who are energized more by interaction with others, even in conflict, than by being alone in small groups. These are the ones who are spiritually nourished through the battle. I think of people like Elijah. Then there's the traditionalist pathway, and it's probably not what you think. 
These are those Christians who enjoy God through ritual and symbol. These are the Christians who can't wait to partake of communion and Eucharist every Sunday. Who can't wait. These are the people who send me emails about Eucharist and love it when we, when we do certain things. And these are the people who send emails and say, man, we really like the liturgies and the congregational readings and the congregational prayers. And we like it that we take Eucharist together. And we like it that we do this and do These are the people who really get deep into the historic dimensions of our faith, like the rituals and the symbols and the sacraments and the sacrifice. The traditionalist pathway has a tendency to lead towards a very disciplined life. So these are the ones who think that discipline is number one in the Christian life. There are those who walk along the sensory pathway. These are the ones who enjoy God with the senses. Sensory Christians want to be lost in the awe and the beauty of God. They like and appreciate all the other things, but this is really the way they connect with God. They're drawn particularly to the liturgical and to the majestic and to the grand. And they want to be filled with sights and sounds and smells that just sort of overwhelm them. And these are the ones who, who understand and, and come to God with the five senses of their life. I've got a couple of buddies who they cannot study the Bible without a candle burning. It's just something about that aesthetic for them. And, and then it has to be a scented candle. Like Lavender. And then there are those who walk along the creation pathway. See, these are the Christians who seek to leave the church buildings as quickly as possible in the formal structures. They don't throw the church out. They just want to leave this building to go out into God's grand building, the cathedral of God called creation, who when they see the trees and the changing of the leaves, that they feel closer to God there than they do any worship gathering. So the brother comes to me and he says, I'm struggling to feel close to God. And I understand that the creation pathway is his way. And so I encourage the brother, take your Bible. Find one of these incredible trails here in Williamsburg. And just walk along that trail and read the Psalms. And that brother comes back on fire. Versus, I say to that brother, go into your room. Study the Bible, spend time with God. And he comes back and the Holy Spirit does some work, but he's a little frustrated. See, this is how the spiritual pathways work itself out in our lives. It's because we're all wired differently. See, it was Jesus himself who said in Matthew chapter 10, he was trying to talk about who to fear and who not to fear. There's almost a, a supplemental statement Jesus makes that helps us understand the nature of God's relationship with us. And he says in verse 29, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head, no matter how few or many they may be, have all been counted. So don't be afraid, therefore. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows every hair on your head. Because he put it on your head because you're the only you he'll ever make. And he's wired you to be you. And he wants to connect with you in the way that he made you. He's not interested in trying to make you anything other than who he made you to be. He just wants you to look like Jesus somehow. 
He wants you to love Him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, with your whole self. And then He wants you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what He wants for many of us. He's not interested in raising up a bunch of dancers or a bunch of solemn worshipers. He's just interested in raising up a bunch of lovers who either dance or worship solemnly. But yet we as a church sometimes feel the need to press into this one-size-fits-all version of Christianity, and it's a tragedy. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack these in detail. And my prayer is that you will see just how God wired you to live with Him. And you'll begin living with God in a way that you're wired. Now what I found, and what we will discover in Scripture, and if you ever struggle, think of this. What do you get when you combine the leadership of Abe Lincoln with the veracity of General Patton, with the artistry of John Lennon, and with the love of nature? I don't know. You get Dave. You get good old King Dave. You get a man who is a follower and passionate worshiper of God who saw the beauty of God in creation but who walked along all of the pathways himself. See, what I've discovered is that when Christians grow in their depth and they understand the pathway in which they were created to walk, they begin to try out the other pathways along the way because that's what a mature Christian does. And then before you know it, God is broadening your senses. So you may be the person that says, man, I really connect with God when I'm in the outdoors. What I would encourage you to do is spend time with God in the outdoors, but make sure you get into that room every now and then and spend time with God too. Because you may find God will open your heart up in ways you never even imagined. Maybe light a candle. Lavender. And God might awaken you to a piece of Him and to a part of Him and to an aspect of Him that you never even knew was possible. See, maybe you're here today and you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you always thought that Jesus was someone who was a character in the book that people talked about on Sundays. But I'm here to tell you. Jesus is someone to be lived with and experienced in the daily rub of your life. He is someone to walk with. If you were raised thinking that Jesus is a church figure, I apologize on behalf of all Christians. You don't go to heaven from going to church. You don't get God from going to church. You go to heaven and get God from walking with Jesus. That's a whole different ballgame. I invite you to know Jesus because he's the only one that can set you free. He made you he knows you best, and He loves you most. There's no one who will love you like Him, and there is no one who will ever know you like Him. And if you doubt that, ask someone here who's come to know that in their life, and they'll be glad to tell you. Don't leave here without Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray, praise you for all that you have done and all that you are, all that you have given all that you have blessed us with, the life and the grace and the mercy you have poured out on us through Jesus Christ, the Lord and King. So, Father, we ask that you open our hearts to receive the beauty and the wonder of your presence. Father, I pray for all of us here that we would leave here different. Pray, God, that you would give us great discernment as we walk along this journey together as a family of faith to discover these sort of spiritual pathways. Because, Father, we know that the end goal is just, it's really simple. We just want you. Because we know that in Jesus Christ, you have demonstrated above and beyond how much you want us. And, Father, I know that you have done this for your glory. So, Father, help us to lift you up. Help us to exalt you with our lives. 
Help us to live on mission with you as disciples, to enjoy you in every way. So, Father, begin always by leading us to the cross. Lead us to the cross this day, Father, where we find that love has been poured out, where we find that you who have made us connects with us through Jesus. Help us to leave here a connected people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.